0: And today I wanna talk to you more about moving into your future. God has something for you. You say, but Rick, I'm so afraid of my future. I don't know what's in the future. Well, you know, there's always a big question about the unknown, what's out there? What will happen if I obey God? What will happen if I obey God? If I really do what's in my heart, what will happen? Will I fail or will I succeed? That's a very real question. You know, I taught the Bible, and I taught how to walk by faith for years and years. And then when God called me to the former Soviet Union, you know, I told you a couple of times how much I struggled with that. You know why I struggled with it? Because I had worked so hard to build my ministry, and when I thought of moving from America to the Soviet Union, it's not a great way to build your mailing list. (laughs) It's not a great way to build your ministry. It's not a great way to touch people in the states who have the resources to help you build your ministry. We were moving to the Soviet Union. It's where I still live. I'm thanking God that I live here but all I could think about was loss. I couldn't see what we were going to gain. All I could think about was loss. Lose our house, not lose it, but give it up. Give up our car, give up our neighborhood, give up our ministry in the States, lose our visibility. It seemed to me like I was losing everything. And after I taught walking by faith for years and years and years, Now when God asked me to do something which was going to really require my faith, my private question was, what will happen if I obey God? (laughs) Will God fail me? What will happen if I obey God? I don't know why, but there's something in all of us. Just a little, maybe just a little question: If I obey God, am I going to lose everything? But you know, it's 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 really something because the thing that we hold on to is what keeps us from seeing what God has for us. Out of fear, you're clutching to what you have, and if you would just let loose of it and let it move out of the way, you would see the grand thing. That God has in front of you. Little did I know that God would open the door for me to broadcast the Bible teaching ministry which God gave me to 180 million Soviet people every week. You see, I couldn't see that. I was holding on to our house, I was holding on to our ministry in the States, which was growing. It was having impact. It wasn't huge, but it was growing. And I was holding on to that, and if I had held on to it and stayed right where I was, I would have missed everything that God had for us. And what God had for us here in the Soviet Union was bigger than anything my mind could have imagined. Today you can go into any city where we broadcast our program and people know who I am. And that's not exciting to me. It's just exciting because if they know who I am, it means they've been watching me Teach them the word of God. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of letters from people who have prayed to receive Christ with me over the television. Hundreds upon thousands of my books which we've distributed to churches and videos and audio tapes and giant crusades that we've held all over the former Soviet Union. And if I had clutched on to what I had when we lived back in Tulsa, We would have had a comfortable life, we would have enjoyed ourselves, and we would have missed, we would have missed everything which God had for us here, which has been the most incredible fruit of our entire ministry. And by the way, I want to thank you for your partnership, thank you for your gifts to help make all of this possible. It takes a lot of money to do all this, and it's because of people like you that we're able to reach these precious people. Thank you so much that you've joined hands with us and you have helped us to do this. But you know, whenever we came to that point where we decided it's time to do it, we're going to obey God, we're going to shove our feelings of fear out of the side, to the side, I went down to a meeting in Florida. I was in the States when I made this decision to preach to a group of missionaries. And I stood in front of that group of missionaries, and I said, I want to announce to you tonight that my family and I are moving to the former Soviet Union. Well, in that service that night, there was a strong anointing strong. I mean, you could just sense it. It was almost a tangible anointing. And you know, when you're under an anointing like that, you can make some pretty bold statements and feel faith. So I announced we were going to move to the Soviet Union. All the leaders came forward, laid hands on me, prophesied over us, declared what God was going to do for us. And as long as I was in that meeting, it was awesome. The power of God And then I went back to my room, (laughs) and I was by myself. And I thought, you stupid idiot. Now you've told all those people. God called me to the Soviet Union. Now if you don't obey God, they're either going to know that you're disobedient, or they're going to think that you really don't know the voice of God. Rick, why did you have to go and tell everybody? At that night, when I made the open announcement, I passed the point of no return. There was no turning back. At that point, the bridges had been burned. The announcement had been made. Now I was locked into my commitment with God. I had no choice but to face the future. When Moses died this must have been what Joshua felt. Because Joshua had been serving Moses for many, many years. And as an associate who worked closely with Moses, I'm sure that Joshua knew someday he would be the new leader. And there were probably times whenever Joshua thought, oh, someday, someday when I'm the leader. Someday when I'm the leader. And then one day, Moses Died. And God's first prophetic word to Joshua when he became leader was, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. And in one way, I'm sure that Joshua's heart leaped because it meant that now he was going to be the new leader. He knew that his day had finally come. He may have even thought, Moses, I'm going to miss you, but I'm so happy to finally have this position. I am going to be the anointed man. And then the day came when Joshua stood in front of his Jewish congregation. We don't know how many Jews there were. There might have been 6 million. There might have even been 20 million. And now Joshua stands in front of them and looks into their eyes for the very first time. Joshua looks into their eyes. Millions and millions of eyes. And all of those millions of eyes are looking back at him. And as he looks at his new congregation, whom the Bible says were hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn, and rebellious. As he looks into their eyes... And sees who his congregation is and realizes, my God, what have I dreamed for? This is a huge congregation and look who they are. Stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-hearted, rebellious. Moses could barely handle them and now they're all looking at me and I'm looking at them. And there was nowhere for him to go. This was the point of no return. Moses was dead. He couldn't go back. The clock could not be turned back. He had to go forward. Now, what do you think all of those Jews were thinking when I looked at Joshua? Now, remember, Moses had been there later. Now, I'll tell you, Moses would be a pretty hard act to follow. Part of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. He brought the plagues down upon Egypt. That's pretty amazing. Called fire out of heaven, locusts, lice. Did the most incredible things through his rod on the ground. It became a serpent. Put his hand in his chest, pulled it out. It was leprous. Put it back in. It was white as flesh. I mean, these are some pretty awesome things to do. Only Moses had been on the holy mountain with God. It was Moses that had seen the finger of God. it was Moses that had seen the backside of God. It was Moses that received the Ten Commandments. It was Moses, this incredible, incredible man that had led them for forty years. And now Joshua steps into the pulpit, and he looks at at six million Jews. And their 12 million eyeballs are looking back at him. And they're all looking at him, thinking, hmm Can he do it? What do you think? Think he can do it? I don't know. He sure is Moses. He sure is Moses. What do y'all think over there? You think he can part the Red Sea if he needs to? Hey. Guys, what's your opinion? Could he collapse an Egyptian empire if it was necessary? Hey, what's the consensus? Let's look at him. Look at him. Do you think he can do it? Can he follow Moses? Can he be what Moses was? Do you think he can do the job? This is natural for people to ask these kinds of questions. And do you know what Joshua was thinking? As those 12 million eyeballs looked up at him. He was probably asking the same questions they were asking. (laughs) I don't know if I can do this. Lord, look at this. Lord, I know I asked for this, but Lord, I don't know if I can do this. Lord, Lord, can I do this? Can I lead these people? God, can I do this? You know, it's hard for any spiritual leader who replaces a leader that's been there for a long time. For instance, if... A pastor has been in a church for 15 or 20 years, then he dies. And then the new guy comes along. It's always murder on the new guy. The congregation wants to receive him and wants to love him. But you've got to understand, they've had that old pastor for 15 or 20 years. Well, they knew that old pastor so well, they almost knew how he thought. When he preached, they could predict his hand gestures. They knew the man. They knew how he thought, how he responded. They were adapted to his style of ministry. That's just normal. And when the new guy comes along, well, they still have the old guy in their system. And even though they want to be kind and receptive to the new pastor it is normal for them to compare the new guy to the old guy, and that's why most often, if a church has had a pastor for 15 or 20 years, the next guy that comes along doesn't last very long. The church doesn't like him. He doesn't fit. And you know what's happening? The church is working the old pastor out of its system at the expense of the new pastor. Then when the new pastor resigns, the third pastor comes along, usually by that time, the church has got the original pastor out of their system and they're ready to move on with God. That's just human. Well, now Joshua is the new pastor and they're looking at him and he's looking at them and they're all asking the same question Can he do this? So now Joshua is standing in front of the congregation of Israel and he is the new guy he's looking into their eyes and he's thinking, God, this responsibility is huge. And I'm sure that as he looked into their faces, he was trembling and he was shaking, saying, oh, dear Jesus, what have I gotten myself into? Now, you might say, well, I don't know about that. A man of God doesn't get, doesn't get scared. Well, sure he does. I get scared all the time. Anytime I stand in front of a congregation of thousands and multiples of thousands or even a small group, Even a small group sometimes I become fearful, and it's not fearful in a scared way, but it's just a real healthy respect that when you stand in front of people, you have a tremendous responsibility. The Bible is very clear to say that masters that teach, people that teach, will receive a greater judgment, and I'll tell you that even when I come on this television program, I know Every word has to be right. I have to present truth to you. That's an awesome thing. And when you have that awareness, it affects you a little bit. But you know, the Apostle Paul had this same thing. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 1, Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Listen to verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now these might not sound like the words of a man of God, but they are. And if you were to interview most of the great men of God and women of God that you know, you would find that they all identify with this verse in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Well, now, why was Paul in weakness and in fear and in much trembling? Because he had just had a couple of real bad experiences. He had been stoned. He had been run out of a town. He had been put in prison. I tell you, he had had a hard road for a couple months. It seemed like everywhere he turned, he was failing in his ministry. And now Paul is headed over the hills on the way to Corinth for the very first time. And here Paul tells us what he, what he was feeling and what he was thinking as he walked over those hills toward Corinth. And he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, Came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you. And the Greek says, I don't know anything, know nothing. I don't know anything. Nothing. It's a picture of Paul totally turning from himself, saying, God, everything I've tried has failed. I've been run out of town. I've been stoned. I've been imprisoned. I have preached the best sermons I know how to preach. I've used the best language I know how to use. I've used rhetoric. I've used my mind. I've used logic. I've done everything I know to do to persuade people of Christ. And now as he walks over those hills on the way to Corinth, he's reviewing his ministry, which obviously has not been successful lately. Must be something wrong in what he's doing. Rather than lean upon his mind, Rather than lead upon his language, which was very flowery, rather than use his rhetoric, which for him was a natural skill, he said, "And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined." not to know anything among you. And here we have a picture of Paul completely turning from himself, realizing that his own gifts are not enough, his own mind is not enough, his skill is not enough, his rhetoric, his logic, his fabulous mind is not enough. If it were enough, it would have worked, but it hasn't been working. And now he says, I'm turning from it all, everything that's comfortable to me everything that is natural for me to lean upon and rely upon, my skill, my training, my education, I'm laying it all aside. I'm turning from all of it. I don't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so now we find that as Paul's walking over those hills toward Corinth, he's deciding, I'm turning from it. I'm turning from me. I'm turning from my dependence upon my own mind. I'm turning from all of it. And Lord, I'm not going to know anything except the gospel and your power. That's all I want to know. Well, you know, making a decision in a prayer closet is the easiest decision to make. That's easy. For instance, if you need to lose weight, it's so easy to decide when you're praying, God, I'm going to lose weight. Then you walk out of your prayer closet and walk to the kitchen. Then it becomes a different situation. God, I'm going to be a strong witness for Jesus Christ. Well, when you're in your prayer closet by yourself, it's easy to make that kind of decision. But then when you walk out of your prayer closet and go to work and you need to witness, that's a different thing. Well, now, Paul has been in his prayer closet And in his prayer closet, he says, I'm turning from myself. I'm turning from my style. I'm turning from the way that I've been doing things. And Lord, I'm going to operate only in your power. I'm not going to lean upon myself. I'm just going to declare the testimony of God. And then Paul says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And when Paul says, I was with you, the Greek word literally means face to face. Paul says, when I saw your face. You see, as long as he was just by himself, it was easy. Easy to make a decision when you're by yourself. But when he stood in front of the pagan Corinthians for the first time, When he looked into their eyes, just like now Joshua was looking into the eyes of Israel. When Paul looked into their eyes, and they were all looking back at him, and he knew, God, if you don't come through, I'm in big trouble. Lord, these people are looking at me, and they're wondering, what do I have to say? God, if you don't come through, I'm in big trouble. And in that moment, it would have been natural For Paul to slip back and to begin again, leaning upon his own rhetoric, his own mind, his own training and education, that would have been easy, easy, because he had done it for years. It would have been easy for him to fall back in that moment, but you see, he had made a decision in verse 2. He said, "...for I determined not to know anything." I'm not going to come with excellency of speech or human wisdom. I'm not going to know anything. And when he looked into their eyes and realized the commitment he had made, and now he is in a desperate position. God, if you don't show up, I'm in very big trouble. And when I was with you, He says in verse 3, again, the Greek says, when I was face to face with you, when I saw their faces, when I was with you, when I saw your faces, I was with you in much weakness, trembling, and fear. The word much is polu. It means a lot. Not a little, but a lot. Now, these are the words of a great man of God, the man that wrote most of the New Testament. He said, much weakness, and the word weakness means just so infirm you feel like you can barely stand. The word trembling is the same word trembling you would use to describe an alcoholic who's trying to get off of alcohol, and they've got the trembles. They just tremble, tremble, tremble. It's the very same identical word. And the word fear that is used doesn't refer to a fear like something you'd feel from watching a horror movie, but it's a good dose of respect. And so now Paul's looking into their faces, and he's realizing, I have nothing. I can't do anything. God, I'm totally dependent upon you. He said, I was there in much weakness, much weakness. I felt like I could barely stand. He said, I was trembling. Well, they may not have seen his hands shaking, but his stomach was doing flip-flops and much fear, a good dose of respect that knew, God, I am totally dependent upon you. And what was the result? And my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And the word demonstration means to point your finger at something. To point your finger at something. Now Paul is preaching the gospel, signs and wonders begin to take place, and signs and wonders are like God Almighty pointing his finger at something visible, saying, see, this is the truth, this is the proof, this is the truth. He said, God stood by me, God demonstrated that my message was true, and Paul entered into a new dimension of ministry.